You're listening to Carry On Friends, the Caribbean American Podcast, Episode 79. Welcome to the Carry On Friends Podcast, where you'll be inspired and empowered to do amazing things in your personal lives, career, business, and community. With your host, Carrie Ann Reed Brown. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Carry On Friends, the Caribbean American podcast. I'm excited that you are listening. On today's show, we have guest Shauna Marie Aarons Cook, who is a licensed clinical social worker. And the topic we'll be covering today is demystifying mental wellness within the Caribbean community. And this is um, actually because we went so in depth. This is part one of a two part episode on this particular topic. So in part one of the show, we talk about the modeling and the messaging that we've learned from family or culture that causes us to look at mental wellness as a weakness or unfavorably. We also talked about the shift to what she calls whole health because studies are showing the link between physical health impact and mental health and vice versa, or the pressures of life affecting physical. And then our perception, how our perception of mental wellness may cause us not to recognize when we need people or, or the people around us need the support of a professional. So um, without any further delay, here is part one of my interview with Shauna Marie. Hello, Shauna Marie. Welcome to the Carry On Friends podcast. Thank you so much for joining. How are you? I am well, Carrie Ann. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate this opportunity. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. So why don't you tell the community of friends a little bit about who you are? Ah, okay. Well, I am U.S. born of Jamaican parents. I'm first generation American. Mm-hmm. I am an author, psychotherapist, professional speaker, and gosh, I've done so many things, but I'll focus on that part because I think that's what's most relevant to your listeners today. All right, cool, cool. And so the topic that we're talking about is um, demystifying mental wellness, particularly in the Caribbean community. And so, um, Last year was a challenging year for me personally and um, for a lot of people who it was just a it was just a challenging year and um, so I wanted to, to, to have a topic where you know someone who has expertise in the area would would be able to, to, to answer questions and talk about some of the challenges that um, or audience whether they're just career focus, entrepreneurship focus, or they're doing both, and how you know we could find some kind of support, takeaways, or tools to help us balance. And um, but the first and most important thing is demystifying mental wellness. So why is it important that we demystify mental wellness, particularly in the Caribbean American community or or just the African American community as a whole? Yeah, I well, I, I think one of the reasons I'm so passionate about spreading information around mental health and wellness is about demystifying, you know, the misconceptions, the myths, the stigma. You know, we're 
we're inundated with messages 24-7 through media now more than at any point in our history, you know, of humans walking this earth. Mm-hmm. But on top of that, you know, the, the African-American, the Caribbean experience, if you're a person of color, it is not uncommon for you to believe that you can overcome anything, for you to lean on and focus on your faith in a way that might have you looking down or ashamed on the possibility that mental health is something you would benefit from support with. I hope I didn't make that confusing the way that I said it. No, 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 no. That's very clear. It's like toughen up my, you know, it's, it's those it's those repeated conversations. Like I, like I, I I told, I gave an example, like growing up, if you kept hearing stop and eyes or shut up, you, 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 you kind of internalize those over time. And you realize that you start being quiet because that's kind of what you've been told for a while. So it's, it's, it's those messages that we hold on to. But I I would add the modeling, you know, Mm -hmm. of what you see in your family, right? So if I look, at my mom and dad, if I look at my grandparents and my great grandparents, they've been to, through things that I've never ever had to endure. Mm-hmm. And not one of them ever has gone to therapy. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? That is true. <laughs> and so when you start, you know, kind of reflecting on how you grew up, how people deal with challenges, how they. You know, I think of my grand uncle when he came back from the war and he was paraplegic. Mm-hmm. Um, he never, you know, he never went to the VA to talk to anyone. Never. You know, he, the, the way that our family, and I don't want to say like my family is what everyone does, mm-hmm. but most of what I experienced in my family is not unusual when I think about the clients and families that I've worked with mm-hmm. of Caribbean descent. Right. So they are immediately, once they realize I'm Caribbean too, then they're like, oh, okay, so you know where I'm coming from, right? It's a secret. Like, nobody knows I'm here. Nobody's supporting this decision. And not to say that there aren't people of descent who do support and understand mental health, but it's usually for a specific reason. So let me let me go back to the kinds of things we're going to hear, right? Um, you know, if someone is talking in a way that doesn't make sense, the average person's going to say, stop talking foolishness. Yeah. If someone can't focus um, at work or at school, you're going to say, get it together. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, I can't say that that is as consistent among other ethnicities. Mm-hmm. I think about the pride, you know, when I first when I first went to school and I brought home a form and my father said, I said, Oh daddy, you know, the teacher gave me this. And he said, what is this? We don't take handouts. Why'd she give it to you? Did she give it to everybody? Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> so, you know, think about that. I'm in first, second grade. Mm-hmm. So that's just my own experience. I would be surprised if many, you know, many other people of Caribbean descent or born and raised in the Caribbean doesn't have so much pride in who they are and what they overcome that they don't necessarily, that they would probably look at it as a bit of a weakness. Mm-hmm. And, you know, historically, I was thinking about this. I said, gosh, well, you know, how did people of color understand mental health and what have you? And historically, it was, 
there's no time that humans have walked this earth where there weren't people who were what today are called mentally ill, but back at the days were called, you know, mad, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> Touched, mm-hmm. um, off. And they were treated from more of a spiritual perspective historically in the sense that they'd pray over them, mm-hmm. you know? Um, they would think that they were possessed. Whereas, you know, in America, you start talking about the late 1800s, early 1900s. That's when it kind of became a field of, of practice, a field of learning where, you know, people were trying to understand what's going on. Maybe they're not possessed. Maybe, they're, right. <laughs> maybe there's another explanation for this and how do we understand it? So, so and, and, and that's a good kind of background and framework that, you know, culturally it's coming from a place of pride and not quite wanting other people to know your business. Like, you know, like it's a perception of being weak. So then what really is mental wellness or therapy? How, what, what, what does it mean? Absolutely. Yeah. And and, and I think there's still there's still movement in this. Mm-hmm. So when you think about the terms for this field of mental health and wellness, it started out as mental illness, mm-hmm. right? So first madness, mm-hmm. <laughs> then mental illness and disorders. And then they started moving into mental health because they realized that it was kind of stigmatizing to look at someone as mentally ill, mm-hmm. that there's a disorder in their minds. And then now you're seeing a movement more around wellness, but you know, even some of the best psychologists and psychiatrists have started to question the way that we talk about mental health and wellness because they're saying, is it really just about your mind? Mm -hmm. Isn't it about your emotions? Isn't it about your behaviors? Isn't it about your environment? Aren't there circumstances where it would be appropriate to not be able to get out of bed and to be sad, Mm -hmm. you know, and to have flashbacks Um, or kind of feeling like you're not in your body or you're not yourself based on the sheer volume of things that you've endured. Mm -hmm. You know, so like the the language is shifting even, you know, to trauma where people used to think of it as life or death situations, whereas now it's like when your ability to cope and endure is overwhelmed by your circumstances, your body's reacting the same way as if you was in a near-death experience. Mm -hmm. You know, so, but... What would be the value in um, understanding what mental health and wellness is? I think it's I think it's about realizing that if you're going to live the very best life that you can live, you've got to feel good. You've got to be good in all aspects of your life. And so now mental health, behavioral health really is starting to vibrate around wellness in multiple areas. So your environment, your social interactions, your physical health. So it's like, I guess, think about whole health and then therefore think about wellness. Mm. Because like if someone is enduring a physical health challenge, that's going to impact how you feel. Mm -hmm. It's going to impact how you think. And if someone is enduring a significant financial challenge, that's going to impact how you think and how you feel as well, probably in the kind of choices that you make. And I think probably our greatest opportunity is when we think about the legacy of how we can show up in the lives of our children and in others. Mm. Because if we're not well, 
we're giving from a place of hurt and dep- dep- deprivation. Mm-hmm. Our decisions are born out of pain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And with pain, you lash out, <laughs> you know, um, you, you're reacting, you're trying to find relief or you, you know, it, it's where they say, you know, misery love company, you know, and so you, you, you do things whether intentionally or, you know, not knowingly hurting people around you because you're in pain, you're, you're in pain and, and you don't have any other um, construct for relief. So I really liked, um, you know, what you just said. And it totally makes sense to be because, you know, I think about growing up in the Caribbean and, you know, I remember growing up, there was this, you know, they call them street people now in Jamaica. But back then, they were just playing mad one, madman or madman. Mm-hmm. And, you know, mm-hmm. in retrospect, and his name, everybody knew him as Dennis. I'm sure that wasn't his real name. Dennis was just, just had a mental, you know, back then, I guess the proper word would be mental illness. And I'm not saying overwhelmed or stressed. There was something where he needed a support for. There was some developmental issue there because as Caribbean people, developmental issues are also categorized into this madman, madman, madwoman situation. Mm-hmm. And and so looking back at it, it was just, you know, you, you the stigma, because what happens is when, when, when there's a mental development challenge or, you know, um, something you know, they, 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 they have nowhere to go. No one wants to keep them because it's, it's shame and burden. And so it somehow they end up on the street. So you, you kind of reflect on that. And, and then now as you explain the, the transition from, you know, mad to mental illness to, to the different terms and recognizing how the stigma is what's preventing more people from getting, the um, professional help that's available, it now makes sense because the the more it doesn't seem to be going away, you know, it, it's growing. The cases not, are... not at all, and and the fact is, the more that we understand the source of mental illness, the better we're able to prevent it, mm-hmm. to alleviate it, and ideally to overcome for those who this is their path right? and, and, and the continuum, the continuum of mental health. Cause I think the same way that both you and I immediately, we have a, a person in our mind of who's mad, mm-hmm. right? And that's the person who really needs help. And if you're not at that point. Yeah. You tell yourself that I'm okay. Push, right. Does it mean that your suffering couldn't benefit from support? And I think that would be my greatest concern Mm -hmm. around mental health and wellness is that if it's not, quote, that bad, right? Mm -hmm. So if you have your child and your child is getting good enough grades, they're passing their classes, they're not disruptive, no one's referring them for counseling. Mm -hmm. Whether or not they're eating, whether or not they have a poor sense of self, whether or not they're able to develop strong, healthy relationships, they have a hard time concentrating, they're going to stay under the radar because they're functioning well enough. Mm-hmm. And that child, when he grows up, at some point is going to think that no matter what I have to deal with in life, I don't need help. Mm-hmm. I don't need support. And unfortunately, you know, when you think about who commits suicide, it's men. 
-hmm. Lethal suicide is men. Currently, the research shows that there's at least one in five people. Now, I'm sure you know more than five people, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> but at least one for every five is likely to be ha to have some form of mental health issue. And so, why is it um, why is it mostly men? Why why are men yes. mostly affected? Suicide. Yeah. So. The, the interesting thing is women are more likely to identify mental health issues. Mm -hmm. They're more likely to explore services. Men are the least likely. And yet the suicide rate, like as far as the lethality in suicide, you know, how successful they are, the types of suicides, it's the high, it's really men. Mm. And I, I think part of it is if you think of just American media and American men, how, what examples or images do we see of men being able to express their emotions? Right. What emotions are acceptable? Anger, uh, frustration for disrespect. Yep. Right? But you don't really see um, a, a level of sensitivity and expression of self. With I, I, I'm trying to remember what show it was I watched. I watched a show once where I just remember that the man was crying and everyone was like, is he gay? Like, what's wrong with him? Right. And those are like, like it goes back to the language that we, we are using to kind of indirectly kind of shame people, you know, into not not realizing that this is a derogatory use of a word. And you then, you know, by by reacting that way, you give the other person a cue not to that what they're feeling is bad or maybe I should keep this to myself and not share it. So, yeah, those are like the terms that, you know, people use. And I mean, we're talking about anything here. It could be, you know, like for me, I told you last year I had a, a hard year and the year before the last couple of years, it's just been, you know, I had I had a lot of loss in my family and it was just like it is so overwhelming. So mental wellness is for me dealing with life after the death of people who, you know, you grew up with, like, you know, as Caribbean people, you know, the relationship you have with your grandparents. Most of us have a closer relationships with our grandparents than we do with our actual parents. And so, you know, dealing with that loss where, you know, um, as we've spoken before, like everything that happened to me in my life, the first people I called were, you know, was the first person, grandma, you know, when I moved from Jamaica to the U.S., like grandma, write lots of letters. And as I'm cleaning out and preparing for the baby, I found like postcards grandma sent me, mm. you know, I'm turning 16. I, I, I'm never going to throw those away because but I pretty much kept every letter and postcard people gave me when I moved here. Mm -hmm. But looking at that and the relationship and the communication, it just kind of I, I didn't need anyone else to tell me that I didn't. I didn't need support to deal with this heavy loss, but like seeing that just kind of reminded me that, you know, if you've had someone in your life for almost 40 years and they're gone, like that's 40 years of memories and, and experiences that you're coping with because they're no longer here. And so a lot of times people seem like, oh, you know, they're in a better place and, and that should be enough for you. And it's not. But part of what you're sharing just speaks to the value of what we call psychoeducation, 
you know, the more people that understand grief and loss, the more people who are going to empathize and support you during that transition beyond just saying, oh, you know, this too shall pass. He or she is in a better place. And the other thing is it just reminds me of like the gift of therapy, you know, because I, I told this to a good girlfriend of mine. I said, you know, the longer that I do this work, the more I realize that therapy is the greatest gift, really, really the greatest gift that I've ever experienced in my life. Not just having been a recipient, but having been a provider. Mm-hmm. Because what happens is you get in, you get into the habit of understanding yourself, yes. of understanding how your mind works, how your emotions works. Um, being clear as far as what you're feeling and letting those feelings come out with no shame, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it could be something little. I, I remember once, you know, I had a breakup and my girlfriend called and she goes, Oh, what's the matter? It sounds like you're upset. I said, Oh, you know, we just broke up and I started crying. She's like, Oh, stop crying. I was like, no girl, I'm in touch with my feelings. I got to get this out. <laughs> well, it, but, but that's what psychoeducation teaches you. Mm-hmm. So you know, as a kid growing up, as a young adult, I wouldn't have understood that. But training in therapy, training in mental health and psychology, I know it doesn't serve me to repress my feelings. Mm-hmm. It actually serves me to be able to feel what I'm feeling and get to the other side of it. Mm-hmm. You know, and, you know, the, the other thing I, I forgot to say this earlier when I think about mental health, because I've had this conversation so many times with family members um, and friends of the family, primarily Caribbean. And they're like, what good is talking about the past, right? Mm. Uh, it's already done. Mm-hmm. That's not going to help me now. Mm-hmm. And I was like, therapy doesn't really mean that you're talking about the past. Therapy is really about this moment. What are you thinking and feeling right now? At times, what you're thinking and feeling right now does have to do with things you've experienced before. And so to be able to go back and look at it when it's appropriate, then it helps you get perspective. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, when you think about the islands, I think about how isolated sometimes you can be, how things happen in families, whether it's incest, whether it's sexual abuse and molestation, whether, um, you know, like you get jumped and how that can impact your life. And then still run in the background if you never go back and address it. Right. So does it mean that you're going to sit there and talk about where you were born and how long and who used to call you, you know, little baby Carrie? I mean, like, you're not, you're not just like shooting the poo in there. I, I mean, not with a good therapist. We're really going to be asking you about how are you right now? Mm-hmm. And at times, you know, and where do you want to go? Right. But it is not uncommon that, you know, like we can pick up patterns. Yeah. I was just about to say, right, the the one good thing about, and, and there's debate, but I'll, I'll just, just use from a high level. The one good thing about like some of these shows, right? So let's take Yanla Fix My Life. She consistently says the patterns and pathology that affect you know, your future behavior, your current or your future decisions. And it's, and, and she's, she's not spending time on the past, but like how you're behaving now, a lot of times are kind of dictated by past experiences and kind of moving along. So that was kind of the first time, like 
you know, evaluating patterns and behaviors are the undercurrent and we've pushed them aside for so long or say, well, that doesn't matter. That's how we used to do things and think that, you know, that's fine. And, and I mean, not just with mental wellness, it was, it's just with everything. It's just like there was this, um, this joke where, you know, someone was cooking and the mom kept doing, I can't remember what she did. She, she did a, a, a particular thing. And so every time, you know, that this, that this recipe was passed down, they did that. And one yeah. day one person asked, why do you do that? I'm like, I don't know. My mom did it. And her mom before that did it. Right. You know, right. so it, it's just like watching <laughs> and mimicking the behavior, not knowing why you do it, but it's just because it's what's done. So, and, and that's a pattern. So, I mean, a pattern doesn't always, you know, patterns are helpful clues, I believe, um, to help us figure out why we do certain things, why we behave a certain way, why do we react a certain way. So, you know, I, I like that you said with, with therapy, exploring the past might come up, but it's more of where you are now, what you'd like to do. And when appropriate, exploring the past might give clues as to why we do or feel or you know, behave a certain way when it when it's necessary, you know, and I there was a movie a, a million years ago called Groundhog's Day. Yes. Where, you know, every day he wake up and lives the same day over and over again until he changed, mm-hmm. until he truly changed. And that's how we live our lives. We navigate lives, you know, like with no instruction book. There's <laughs> no like key card or guidebook. And we're going to relive the same patterns, the same experience, the same kind of mistakes, if you will, and missteps until we learn to do otherwise. Mm-hmm. So you could learn exclusively that way, right? You got to run into the wall to realize, okay, don't run into walls. You put your hand in the fire, realize fire burn. Or you can take the collection of experiences that you've had so far and have the support of an objective other professional who can help you see what patterns may be occurring that you don't realize yourself to help you identify what you might want to change and what you might want to say the same. You may find out that the recipe that your great grandma used to use, you want to still do it that way. But at least now you know why you're doing it mm-hmm. as opposed to not understanding why. And when you were talking about fix my life, I was like, mm, going to be quiet. I, no, no, no. no. There, there, let me let me tell you. I, I know. I know. I'm just using on a higher level, using the, the terms. There's a lot. There's there's certain terms that, you know, like the pattern, like she the, the one thing she says over and over again. That's the one takeaway. I'm not talking about the people on the show or anything else on the yeah, show. Yeah. <laughs> no. no, no, no. No, and I appreciate it. The way you framed it, it worked. I, I, I was like, okay, good. We're, we're on good ground here. Yeah. But I, I do think it brings to light the possibility that some of the images we see in the media, we have to understand that it's for entertainment. Yeah. Not all of, you know, like as a mental health professional, that's a very difficult show for me to support mm-hmm. because there is a dismission, a bit of a dismissal of professionals psychotherapy, there's mischaracterization as to what it actually is. And, you know, even you take someone like maybe a Dr. Phil or people who are mental health professionals and in the public eye, it doesn't necessarily mean that what you see isn't influenced by the fact that it is television. Right. So there's lots of things that I see on those shows that I would never do. 
never do. And many therapists would never do, would never put you in a situation where you're being exposed to the negative thoughts and opinions of others, that you still have to go home. And deal with. Exactly. That's my whole thing about reality shows. You know, just the exposure and the openness of wounds and what happens when you go home. Because, yeah, I'm gonna say, you know, that's, yeah, a, whole you different, that's a whole different conversation. There is one thing that I did want to say about the, the physiological aspect of mental health and wellness and repression, because I'm not so sure that people realize that we now have research which speaks to medical conditions that can be linked to intense stress, to... Um, mental and emotional distress and the habit of repressing feelings. So those feelings energetically are still activated in your body. And it is not unusual for there to be medical conditions that surface as a result or a correlate to what you're feeling and repressing. And so when people ask me, you know, what's the purpose of talking about it? And I, I'm quick to say to get it out of you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. To get it out of you because you don't talk about it doesn't mean it isn't still happening inside of you and isn't repressed and stuck in your body. I mean, that makes sense because um, we hear this all the time in different forms. And um, I remember, I don't, I know it was fairly recently where someone went into the hospital, they had a medical diagnosis, and the doctor said, well, you know what, I can tell you what the diagnosis is, and we could treat it, but I can tell you from my professional experience that, you know, the patients who do well are the patients who, you know, mentally, they they aren't saying, oh my God, this is it for me. They ha- they, they Mentally, they go to a place where, whether it's spiritual or whatever. So I think what you're saying it, in... in if, if people are still like skeptical about mental wellness or whole wealth or, or, or whole health, it's in, in the simplest form, the doctor will say, you know, you could have this diagnosis, but I've seen patients pray. They have a positive attitude and those are the patients that get better. So, the, so, so, so what you're saying, the correlation with our physical, you know, physical, our bodies and our minds are connected in the, in, in the opposite where if you have a have positive thoughts or you know you are and it's beyond positive thoughts because you can't just think positive and everything changes but truly and deeply have um a mind a mindset that is more is is healthy and you're you're able to to i can't find the word but you know it has a more positive effect on your family whereas if you are in some kind of mental distress or you're you are there's some just high emotional distress. That's the word you use, distress. Yeah. You know, it yeah. has that impact on your body. It's like that's, you can't get out of the bed. You can't, you know, all these. Well, and, and that's why I was saying it's a little challenging when we say mental health and wellness, because it really so much of our mental health and wellness and our physical health and wellness has to do with our emotional regulation. regulation. Yes. How are we processing our emotions? And are we doing that on a regular and consistent basis? Are we giving space? One of the greatest challenges that I often experience in therapy is people's inability to distinguish and identify their own feelings. Mm -hmm. Because it's about like, what do you think? 
yeah. what's happening in your mind. And if I say, well, wh- what's the feeling that's coming in? And they're like, well, I feel like he doesn't understand me. But babe, that's not a feeling. That's, that's sad. A feeling. Like, where do you get that education? And at this time, you get it in therapy. Yeah. You get it in therapy. And, you know, I, the other thing I think that sometimes people, feel, they worry is they, it's, it's going to sound so, uh, uh, I'll just say it though, is that it's a white people thing. Mm-hmm. You know, that's an American thing. They have the luxury of doing that. Um, and I guess I look at it more as if, and this is now, you know, 20 years later. Yeah. I look at it as why wouldn't I and people I care about benefit and give themselves the gift of therapy, of a safe place, of one person who's dedicated to their mental health, emotional health, and life success. Why not? And I think that's what the shift is going to be. Is and, and it's interesting because right now, the way that we have kind of accepted having a support person is like, oh, it's a life coach, you know? So it's like, I, I do therapy and life coaching and it's hilarious to me. People come, they're like, oh, I need a coach. And I was like, really, how, do you, how did you come to that decision? It's like, well, you know, I don't want to talk about my past. I really want to get things done. There's not one coaching client that I have ever had where we are not also doing some unpacking about their self-care, about their understanding of themselves, about healthy emotional regulation and processing, communications. That's happening anyway. It's like, but whatever door you need to come through, I'm here. And I think the challenge that you're having with life coach is the proliferation of so many coaches. And that's a whole different conversation. So I want to kind of get into what we talked about. I think we talked about this normalized behavior in the Caribbean. You know, we talk about, you know, Things that we do because it's just what you do. It's just like, you know, this, there's this popular meme going around, like, you know, believe in yourself like Jamaicans believe in tea, you know, because for everything, <laughs> we, for everything we drink tea. And I'm, I'm, I'm one of them. Like, I love tea. I don't, I'm not a coffee drinker. I love my tea. So, yeah, yeah. you know, we have, we have um, behaviors or things that we, you know, their comfort, like that. Those are things that we go to because, you know, this is normal. You know, when you feel this way, you just drink some tea, you bathe in some, you, you, you bathe, no, first you bathe, you drink tea, <laughs> and you lie down. Those are the things that we should do. I want to talk more about um, how these normalized behaviors are are placebos in a way, and, and here's why. So I, I, um, I was listening to a podcast episode with T.D. Jakes, and I can't remember, but he said, you know, he he was talking about how someone is sick. He said, don't be sick and say, God going to heal you and you're not going to take your pills. He's like, take the pills. And when you're <laughs> healed, you know, it, like it's, you know, it's, it's, it's the line. And when he said it, I was, I was like, oh my gosh, you know, it's so, you know, there's this line also of like, God is going to heal me. So I don't need all of these things, but you know, it, it's this balance of you. If, if if God is, I think we always look to the supernatural, and taking pills is not supernatural. So you know, so those are just some of the things that culturally we we deal with. And you know, TDJ is speaking to a primarily black audience because you know, if if you go back, no other race is going to get pills and say I'm not taking them. It's 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 
people of African-American or African diaspora who's going to say, well, there's a more supernatural way to deal with it. And I'm not saying the supernatural isn't involved, but essentially he was saying, if you get pills from the doctor, you take those pills. Because if you think God is going to heal you in some supernatural way, it may not work for you. It may work for sister so-and-so, but that may not work for you. Yeah, well, that's, some some of that is deeply embedded, multi-generational embedded. And I, I wouldn't say it's exclusive to the Black, Caribbean, African diaspora, but we probably more hardcore about it, right? <laughs> a little more hardcore. Sure. But, you know, like Christian science is a tradition that for many years did not believe in what's called materia medica. They did not take medications um, and, and didn't believe in it. It's only probably maybe in the 2000s that that started to be, be more acceptable where they understood like, no, you know, we can still take pills. It's not completely against our faith. But but what you're bringing up to me comes across as about a faith walk. And so if you like, and I, and I had a case that was a game changer for me. I worked in the psychiatric inpatient unit for children and adolescents. And I had a teenage girl who came in because she had attempted suicide by taking two bottles of pills. And she was in her home, didn't go to school for a week. She wasn't feeling well. It was what she reported to her parent and her grandparent. And so after about the third or fourth day, they brought their church sisters and did a prayer circle for her. And they held a prayer vigil for three days. By day six or seven, she finally goes back to school and she's still a little bit out of it. And it was the school counselor who said, let's have you see the nurse. And when she disclosed about the pills, they sent her to the emergency room. Um, She's lucky to be alive. Mm -hmm. She is lucky to be alive because and, you know, I as a spiritual person, a faithful person, I respected their ability to lean on their faith, Mm -hmm. but I also had to point out that their faith did not prohibit them from seeking medical attention. And I think that's the line we have to be careful that we're not crossing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when I used to do a lot of presentations in churches, and that's actually how I switched from primarily spiritual counseling to full integrated spiritual and mental health. And it was because the amount of people who would come up to me ashamed, like, I have faith. I just sometimes think about killing myself and I know it's a sin, you know. And I, it became clear to me that, that there was more. It's more than just about your faith. And why would we not explore what mental health and you know, medicine have to offer. And I, you know, I could give an example. I I worked with a a woman, she was Haitian and she used to come to me for prayer. And she said, you know, I have this woman doing obia and she didn't call it that. She called it voodoo, but she, you know, she had this woman um, doing incantations in her home. And when I went to her home to pray with her, I saw that woman, I said, she's schizophrenic. And she was like, why would you say that? No, she's mentally ill. She's, she's not possessed. Look at her eyes. She's not in her mind. She's not here. This is a psychotic episode. And she's like, that never occurred to me. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, she had been praying and, you know, lighting candles and, you know, doing stuff for years hmm. to pray this woman away. And so, 
you know, I, I do think that we we have some room to grow as far as realizing that the spiritual answers a lot for us and it never leaves us. But it doesn't mean that we want to have blind eyes mm-hmm. around other aspects of life. Right. You know, right. The medical, the physical, the and, and so and so. But, you know, when it comes to normalized behavior and risk, I think some of the risks that we have have to do with, like, for example, smoking or drinking um, and maybe having a little more tolerance for, you know, this is what we do and it's a part of our culture and we're a happy people and we'll make it through. Right. All right. So this is where we're going to end part one of the episode with Shauna Marie. Join us for the next episode of the Carry On Friends podcast, where we continue the discussion and Shauna Marie takes on some audience questions. Again, thank you for listening. I hope that you found this informative and you will share this information with your friends, your family and your colleagues. Okay, friends, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Carry On Friends podcast. For a recap of this episode and other great articles, please visit the blog at www.carryonfriends.com. That's C-A-R-R-Y-O-N-F-R-I-E-N-D-S dot com. You've been listening to Carry On Friends, a show about the Caribbean American experience produced by Breadfruit Media. We post a new episode every two weeks on Tuesday. And if you're looking to learn more, buy our merch, or sign up for a newsletter, check out carryonfriends.com. Or find us on all social media platforms at Carry On Friends.